This week's Dicebreaker podcast is sponsored by Voodoo Ranger. If you're looking for that perfect companion for a night around the table reminiscing of stories once told, crack open a Voodoo Ranger IPA and roll for sass. Check out the free virtual D&D games brought to you by Voodoo Ranger during all nine days of PAX Online, running from September 12th through the 20th. And for beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 22. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling episode 22. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have that one prepped that whole time? Uh, No, it's just that there's always some kind of Taylor Swift lyric floating around in my head. I am... Really excited for Blink-182 next week. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I am Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. And this week, I'm joined by two of the team. I'm joined by Alex Lowlies from the uh, video producer, even for Dicebreaker. How are you doing, Lowlies? I almost said from the video team and also video producer and just combined it into video. <laughs> I am Alex video. Lowlies of video. <laughs> Hi, it's me. Um, I'm happy to be here after my week off. <laughs> It was almost convincing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Insert. I am, uh, notes. Happy yeah. to be here. <laughs> yes, it's good to have you back. It's actually so since we last re- uh, last recorded the podcast, uh, you have gained a year in age. I have gained a year in age. Mean's gained a year in age, and is currently off celebrating her birthday. Mm-hmm. And the website oh, and video channel Dicebreaker as a whole has ce- celebrated a year in age, yeah. uh, turning a whole one year old. So happy birthday! To to Lowly's me and me and Dicebreaker. Yay! What, should, what should are the odds? That you you guys didn't gain a year in age over one day. You celebrated mm. a year in age. Oh. <laughs> well, it feels like we did. <laughs> it takes up. I have to check a different box when I fill out things on yeah. the internet now. Or so. Yeah, I think I'm in like the thirty oh to fifty-seven year range or something horrible like that. <laughs> <laughs> life range is that it's, i'm an adult uh, now a real adult <laughs> and of course completing uh, the podcast crew this week is michael wills whelan hello wills how hello. are you doing i'm good hello. thank you very much for having me on excellent stuff uh we are of course here to talk about this week's cavalcade of board game news and tabletop rpg news as well as what we've been playing yeah, answer some of your questions and various other things oh yeah you gotta do the side to side yeah look. for anyone who's watching i'm doing because mian's not here somebody has to step in and do the do the old yeah. side to side that's her brand though yeah it's her brand yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> one of those exclusive little treats for the video watchers mm-hmm. um along with when we hold up board games <laughs> then have to awkwardly describe what someone's doing on camera uh let's kick off by talking about what we've been playing let's start with wheels let's go in backwards order wheels what have you been playing this week um you probably right to start with me because i've not played a lot this week although we did um since the last podcast record we have played uh more cyberpunk 2020 which was good fun or cyberpunk red sorry not cyberpunk 2020 cyberpunk 2020 is the old one red is the new one right yes i know things um so look forward for that on the channel um I actually, like, the more I play a bit, the more I'm really into the Cyberpunk tabletop RPG. Like, it's actually really good fun. Uh, it might just be because Cody is a really good GM, but, yeah, who knows. But that's pretty much it, to be honest. I've been I've been doing a lot of um, personal project stuff, so I haven't had a lot of time to, to mess around with silly board games. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think I really enjoyed that Cyberpunk playthrough. I think, like you say, it helps that. So Cody Pondsmith, uh, who's the co-designer of Red, um, ra- kindly ran, ran another game for us for PAX Online. So that'll be going live during PAX Online. Um, September 12th, I believe, is when it's going up. Um, but having someone that obviously works on the game and knows it inside out, he was like, oh yeah, your base stat is this for yeah. like our pre-gen characters without even yeah. looking at things. Um, although... There, there is a moment in that playthrough where Cody had to reach for a rule book uh, because, because <laughs> let's say one member of the team who will remain nameless managed to throw up something that was so unexpected that the code creator of the game had to double check something in the rule book to see what would happen. Huh? Basically, Cody made the mistake of thinking, <laughs> surely no one would do something this stupid and then ran an RPG with me in it. <laughs> It's, it was very good. Uh, and for those yeah, those who haven't fun. watched our previous playthrough of Cyberpunk Red, with uh, so the Jumpstart kit, um, which was last year at PAX Unplugged, uh, that is live on our YouTube channel now. And that, I think, mm. is still right up there with my favourite sessions of anything oh, I've ever played. Yeah. I was just cracking up all the way yeah, through. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And I was really looking forward to, to joining you guys for, for this uh, next edition of uh of of cody does uh, of cyberpunk with us but i was off so i didn't, I didn't get to join you unfortunately um but i had to swap alex yeah i'm looking forward to seeing it though i'm really looking forward to seeing what happened to your characters and like how wheels managed to ruin everything <laughs> yeah quite literally <laughs> <laughs> that statement has never been true uh all right if that's that's what you've been playing, Wills, let's move over to you, Lolies. What have you been playing during your, your week off, well-earned time off? Um, I played some of my favourite games because it was my birthday week, so it was a good time to play some of my faves. Um, I played uh, on Board Game Arena, which is one of my favourite like board mm. game websites. Um, it obviously doesn't have as much as like Tabletop Sim, for example, but it's, when you, the, it's got a lot of my favourite games on there, and because it's not like tabletop sim where you have to move everything yourself a lot of it is like computerized that can be really nice sometimes just to be able to like just click a button and it does a bunch of stuff for you um mm. so i played uh can't stop which is one of my favorite uh push your luck games. yes um for anyone who doesn't know it's you've got like this track um and the the tracks are different lengths so like based on the probability of each number so seven is like the longest track because with two dice seven is the most likely number to come up and 12 and two on the other sides on the on the far sides are like only three long or something because they're very improbable to come up so you're trying to be like the first player to gain three rows i believe um by like getting to the top first um and it's it's a push your luck game so you your turn will take as long as you kind of want it to take unless you go go bust it's just really exciting and silly and um it's one of those games like it it doesn't take too long so you easily like play a few a few rounds of it um and and you just get so into it and like are, are just heartbroken and yeah it's it's a good one um i played tobago also on board game arena um which i've talked about few times before if you don't know by now go back and listen to the podcast it's a great game that i really like we'll just edit it in like a clip show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah tobago's on there which is which is great because i i only got a copy of it like a couple of weeks ago and before that like the last few years board game arena was the only place that i could really play it 
But like even now, um, it's like a bit sad because no one seems to either know Tobago or maybe just no one likes it. I don't know. But um, it's like if I try and go on and play Tobago, like no one will ever join my table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna Google it now because I have absolutely no idea. Oh really? It <laughs> oh, it's a really cool game where you're like on an island and you're trying to get treasure and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it sounds really good. And like, can't stop. You talked to to me and me and I believe like a while back. Oh, yeah. um, and since then, I've taught it to multiple groups of people because I enjoyed it so much. It is one of those like, oh, this is really straightforward, but you just like once you're rolling, it's like, oh, I can just get one. I can just yeah, get one more. Yeah. And then you absolutely biff it. And it's like, oh. And then some other people will just keep going for ages and you're like, how are you doing it? And they just get to the top and you're like, how, what? Like, and you're just mind is blown. Um, it's It's great. It's great. Uh, I played Star Realms. Uh, I played Star Realms with uh, one of the creators of Star Realms, Star Realm Castle. Uh, we had three games. I won the first one, he won the other two. Um, but we've had four games in total, and it's two each. So we're technically John. Mm-hmm. Just... So just one of those things where it's like, okay, best of five this time, and then the <laughs> other one edges head. Okay, best of seven. <laughs> Just the endless um, yeah. competition. We're definitely going to... He, he's up for, for playing again and uh, seeing... Yeah. But apparently, I, this was quite cool because I, I, we were talking and I was saying like, oh, my win percent... Because I play it on the app mostly um, and it shows you your win percentage. And my win percentage has recently gone up from... It's been hovering on the 49.99 to the 50.01 percentage area for the last three years. But it's gone up recently to 50. Point five seven or something so it's gone up or maybe it's lower than that but it's it's gone up a little bit um <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about like a call of duty kill the, kill death ratio or something <laughs> but i was like i was like you know my win percentage is only 50 percent, and he was like oh like the top star realms players are between 50 and 60 percent. so i was like yeah. oh okay i'm not too bad then oh. uh so that was exciting and most excitingly i've played D with liam my boyfriend Oh my God. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, which is everyone, I'm assuming, uh, my boyfriend doesn't really play board games. He'll play a game if I'm like, you'll let's play this game. And I usually don't pick anything that's like really hard or anything. Like I, I, I keep it pretty simple. Um, But I said to him recently, I was like, do you want to play D&D? Because we were looking for a third player. And he was like, yeah, right. And I was like, okay. And I was like, you can play a mute character if you don't want to do like in character talking. Because I thought like he's not he's he's a very quiet guy. And I was like, you know, that might make him feel a bit more comfortable. Um, and in the end, like yeah, he he played a a, a half orc monk, uh, called Fenton, um, and he seemed to have like quite a good time. And it was really exciting. And like he got thrown straight in by like having to play a level five character and. Um, it was it was really fun, but it was like I just spoke to him before the podcast, and I was like, "Why did you say yes?" Because I was like, "There's always like people asking about how can I get my partner to play this game or whatever," mm. and I was like, qu- like quizzing him, like, "Why did you say yes?" And like, "What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Did you find it like really easy to to figure out?" Like all these questions. Um, um, he just said yes because. He, he was up for it so there was there was nothing really that i did i thought he was just gonna say like it was your birthday <laughs> that's what I, so. thought. I actually thought that's why he said it because i was like it's my birthday will you play and he said yeah so i thought that's why he said yes but apparently he just didn't mind um and he found it quite easy to grasp but we like i did kind of give him an overview and like i kind of just said look just look at those 
little numbers next to like you know strength and whatever and that's like the main thing you need um thankfully we had a, a very knowledgeable dm who was able to like kind of hold everyone's hands <laughs> but yeah nice. is that so is that uh, gonna be like an ongoing campaign now or is that just a one it was a one shot yeah oh, okay. I, I mean everyone's everyone seems to be keen to keep going like even liam was like yeah i'll play again um I don't know like it, it was meant to be a one shot I don't know if we're gonna because we well I don't know I kind of said like to everyone else playing I was like it'd be quite fun because we started at level five it'd be quite fun for us to go back to level one and like do like the pre-story and then go up to that moment where we were in the story but it's at the end of the day it's up to the DM isn't it what he's yeah that's lovely though so Liam hadn't played like a the tabletop role-playing game at all no before, no just... no oh wow the, i think the most complicated thing he'd played before that was like quacks of quedlinburg <laughs> <laughs> like, wow what? that's a jump yeah. yeah yeah yeah. like he he'll play games like if i ask him to and he's usually he usually beats me as well which is very nice but <laughs> yeah his first <laughs> rpg very exciting oh excellent stuff all right it sounds like you've had a pretty packed week then yeah well huh? my birthday you know gotta, True, gotta yeah. get those games in <laughs> uh if that's everything you've played mm. i will uh i've also i've managed to play more games i was saying before the podcast started probably more games in the last week than i have done in the last few months combined uh, yeah. i think just being able to have a few days off uh, for my own birthday um so i i played crokinole um, which is still the greatest game ever made um mm. we accidentally over glissed the board at one point um <laughs> which was uh, at first, kind of, it, it was too much gliss, so the, the discs were sticking. And then it's like it rubs in or it spreads out. And it's like, oh, now it's like ice. So you have to just the gentlest tap will send a disc across the entire board. <laughs> just imagining you doing like a crocodile PSA where you're like, kids, don't have a glissy board. <laughs> don't do gliss. Um, so, yeah, it. The, I mean, crocodile is it's still incredible. Um, uh, for those who don't know, Crokinole is a game, we we have a video of it on the channel, um, where you you essentially just flick discs across a circular board. There's a hole in the middle, you score 20 points for the the hole in the middle, then it's 15, 10, 5. Um, but you can knock, you have to even knock your opponent's discs as well to have a legal shot. Um, and it's it's just amazing. It is a game of just pure dexterity, like, I guess skill, but also you get to the point where sometimes you just have to have to hope that you can thread the needle between the little posts on the board and when you pull it off it's unbelievably satisfying <laughs> and it has that thing of snooker or at least how i play snooker where you at points you'll just full blast something just as a last ditch attempt and you can knock like free off if it happens to bounce the right way it's just when yeah we played it's... it at was it pax unplugged or pax east yeah I played it a lot and it was so funny because east, east was the was the competition oh, and yeah. then unplugged was when we like when we first learned about so, it so like i remember when we were first get, got the disc into the hole we'd all go crocodile <laughs> 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 i love how you say when like when we finally meet back up again we're not going to still yeah. do that yeah. <laughs> i've had people that i've taught and who've seen that video like oh so it's called a it's called a knoll then and it's like no i think that was just a, a silly name that we like we were just shouting at each other but it's now started to spread among the people i played with because it's just i assume it doesn't really have a name as far as i know just getting it in the middle is just 20 points so but i think calling it a knoll is Which is of much more short fun knoll in the hole knoll in the hole yeah uh so yeah crocodile still incredible uh i played the digital version of root 
which just came out in early access, I believe, on PC um, through Steam. It's really good. It's a, I mean, Root is a fantastic board game anyway, but the presentation of it is really slick. So it's 3D graphics. They It kind of brings the, the forest to life. And when you get into battles um, between whatever factions it may be, it does a kind of like... Uh, almost like I guess Pokemon like split screen like whooshing background behind an eerie bird and like, oh, like a um, marquee de cat like Advance Wars style yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they'll they'll <laughs> tussle like it'll be a little smoke cloud and then one of them will it's kind of at points a bit morbid because it, the smoke will clear and it's just like a bird with crossed out eyes because it's been you know wrecked by a bunch of cats um, but it's it's really it's a really good presentation of that game. I do find that Carl Ferrin's art on the original board game obviously amazing, but very kind of distinct pastel, you know, two D by nature of being a board. And it's the three D graphics have taken that. And did you ever play any of the PS two game like PlayStation two games say, where I it's like Futurama, yeah. like Family Guy, whatever the Simpsons like cartoon exactly? Yeah, yeah, where it's like it looks like those characters. But it's just like they were clearly not made to be 3D in the first mm. place. So there's like a weird look to them. I'm kind of into it. But it's just like, it's a bit of a, yeah, It's it just put me in mind of PS2 games. Um, but yeah, a Root, Root Digital seems a very good version of a very good game. So, mm. uh, And obviously it's a nice way to play with a full table, uh, which has been hard for a while. Um, for my birthday itself, I actually played Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea. Which is one of my favorite games of last year, even though it's, I don't think it's like, it's not one of the best games of last year, but it was one of my favorites. It's like a a big sprawling, uh, like strategy game where you control civilizations from history around the Mediterranean. So you might be the Gauls, you might be the Celts, um, whatever it may be. And it's basically just you screwing each other over. So your civilization grows, you put down discs. And then you play a load of cards, and all the cards are like flood, plague, oh uh, like pirates, barbarian. Is there a it's just famine? Uh, there's. I don't think there's that <laughs> specifically, but there's like famine in general. Okay. Um, it's just yeah. It's it's very silly and it's very swingy because you can just team up on people and just like run them into the ground. We were playing with free people, so uh, I immediately got kind of piled on by the other two civilizations to the point where I had like one city remaining and I in the end I lost by about 20 victory points um, and the leader had about 29 victory points so I didn't have many at all um, but I just I love it it's really silly it's very straightforward it's a lot more fun than it looks because it looks very dry um, it's from GMT games who make like Twilight Struggle and a lot of like very kind of simulation-y war games but this mm. is just like it's like it's it's the historical equivalent of someone in a toga at like a toga party like chugging a beer from a keg it's that's about as close as it gets i mean you can history you, yeah yeah you can play it as like a more serious game but really the fun of it is like just like here's a volcano here's a biblical flood here's you know it's just ridiculous um did you ever play history of the world yeah, I really like History of the World. History of the World's really good. It's got that similar vibe where it's like you go through the eras kind of thing and then just big events happen because you happen to have a card that says plague on it or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> History of the World is the one where you play as like a sieve for a little bit, right? And then you swap to another one. And yeah, then your old one just kind of sits on the map. 
you draft who you are each era so it's like at some point someone will be like i'm the roman empire and everyone goes oh god (laughs) because it's got that kind of thing where it's like um it's quite clever actually like it does actually map out history quite well with even though you still have agency over what's going on yeah it's good yeah i mean i like civilization games are among my favorites i think i just like the feeling of like building up a civilization and gaining technology um but they can be quite dry and long so when there's like a streamlined even if it's a bit on the silly side and a bit unbalanced it's it's good fun have you ever heard Uh, of a game called tapestry (laughs) i i like tapestry i know there's a lot of hate for tapestry tapestry. particularly among the dicebreaker team but um it's only wheels yeah. doesn't. Well, I wouldn't say it's only wheels. <laughs> Johnny likes it. I, yeah. I, I, I meant in the uh. world rather than in Dice There I, yeah, with Tapestry, I just wished it was a little more thematic because it's like you can unlock like radar dishes before you unlock writing and things like that. It's mm. just kind of a bit all over the place, mm. but I like Tapestry on the whole. It's like if it was a star, I'd give it like a solid three stars. It's like this plays perfectly fine. Like it's not, you know, the best game in the world, but I will. I think I'll sit down for a game. Like, I give a lot of hate to Tapestry, but mainly I think a lot of that comes from the price of it. It's just mm. like such an obnoxiously expensive thing for something that's basically yeah. a two out of five. And those buildings look fine, and, and it's just like yeah, it's just it's a bit ugly as well. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, other than that, I'll whiz through the rest of the things I've been playing. Because like I say, there's been a lot. Infinity, I continue to paint Infinity models thanks to yeah. Wills. Uh, I've now, there are now four of us forming an Infinity group. So we have like a Discord and we're basically setting up a wargaming club because mm-hmm. enough of us are getting involved in Infinity. Um, I purchased Mars of Nyarlathotep, the Call of Cthulhu campaign, which I'm going to run oh. for my Trail of Cthulhu group, um, which is like a really epic, long campaign that globe trots around solving a mystery um it's yeah i believe there are some problematic elements that have been corrected in the newer versions because it dates from the 80s um i actually got the slightly older version because (laughs) i'm i'm converting it for trail of cthulhu and the only conversion i could find was for the 2010 edition um so i'm hoping that a lot of that was smoothed out by that point um, but there was a there's a there's a version from last year or the year before which is obscenely expensive. It's like sixty quid for the PDF, which seems yeah it seems a lot. Um, like it's a hefty a hefty campaign, but it's just I couldn't put the money in for that. Um, so you I, did that to me yesterday, Matt Jarvis, when you were like. Hey Wheels, look at this cool comic book version of Dio. And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." He's like, "Yeah, it's a hundred dollars." And I'm like, "What?" I didn't Why price did you it send this to me because I thought you'd be like, "Oh, that's interesting." Whoa, the price tag! And instead, you were like, "This seems really good." Uh, so yes, yeah, the Dio, yeah, Dio comic book. Um, and the last thing I've been playing is Cartographers on mobile, which came out recently, which I think was nominated for or won one of the Spiel de Jahres awards. It's like a tile placement game where you create a map, um, but it's started to absorb all my evenings while I'm laying in bed. Uh, so it's just, yeah, it's been really good. Go away, cat. <laughs> Goodness. Sorry. Was it a roll and write? Uh, no, it's a flip and write. So oh. each, <laughs> each, each oh round, my. so it's, it's cards rather than dice. So you reveal cards and they specify the type and the shape of tiles. So they might be a village or they might be water or farmland or forest, whatever it may be. Uh, there are four seasons and a certain number of cards are revealed each season. 
and there are four scoring objectives which are randomized and each season changes them so the first season is a and b then it's b and c then c and d then d and a so you always have two objectives but they kind of change season by season so you might be trying to place forests along the edge of the map for the first season and then you'll score that again but only in the last season and then others are like okay place farmland next to water and you'll score for both or don't place farmland next to water <laughs> like in separate clusters or make the biggest amount of villages in the second largest cluster or connect mountains on the map together with forests. It's really good. So there's a lot of objectives. The app, um, which I think is out for iOS and Android, I don't know if it's on PC, um, it it has a kind of fully randomized mode. So random objectives, random cards. It has a mode that then will put you on the high score ranking list, which is randomized cards, but the objectives are the same for everyone in the world, and they will change week by week. And then there is a like a different ranked mode, which is same cards, same uh, objectives for everyone. So it's like a really, you know, it's a solid app in terms of just there are different options to kind of test yourself. Um, but I've been really, really enjoying it. So, yeah, that's that's me. That's like a lot. That is a uh, lot. Next, I look forward to next week not playing anything. <laughs> um, so shall we move on to news? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of a rhetorical question it's more of a we're moving on to news now here comes the news section prepare yourself uh, so kind of the biggest news this week is the announcement of a new D&D 5e sourcebook um, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything uh, which is a follow up to Xanathar's Guide to Everything from a couple of years ago um, so this is a sourcebook for Dungeons and Dragons it is a sourcebook rather than like a setting book so it essentially adds more character options more like items more dm options i think there are puzzles in there it's not a new environment it's not a new part of the world uh, and it's not a new campaign but the the big kind of thing that is being added uh in cauldron of everything is uh they are essentially allowing you to modify or ignore completely racial traits um which have long been a point of contention in D &D. um in terms of you play a certain race and you will get certain modifiers. Many of them are problematic. Um, they came out a few weeks or months ago, uh, kind of acknowledging that many of the racial traits were problematic and kind of stemmed from earlier D&D &D and like basically vowing that they would make steps towards fixing them. Uh, so this appears to be a step in the right direction. Uh, Alex Meehan uh, has actually previewed it uh, and kind of went through it and found that it's, it's a positive sign, um, so you can kind of read her full thoughts on the website. Uh, but the short of it is here that you can modify traits as you wish. Uh, you can ignore them completely, so you could just make, you know, an orc character or an elven character and have them have whatever stats you want. You don't have to abide by whatever, like, racial traits or modifiers they might have normally. Um, it's written in the voice of Tasha, um, who is a... <laughs> as is becoming a running theme for D&D, &D, is a slightly problematic character from D&D's past. Um, Tasha's best known for the spell Tasha's Hideous Laughter um, and kind of stemmed from this quite uh, like sexist, misogynistic um, origins. But uh, it appears, again, uh, going by Mian's preview, uh, who's kind of gone through it and attended a press event for it, uh, that they are they're attempting to kind of portray Tasha in a more kind of nuanced light in this book. So it's written from her voice, like Xanathar's Guide to Everything was. Um, 
in the case of Xenophar, uh, and going beyond kind of her portrayal as just this evil kind of sorceress. Um, so there are some some promising kind of elements in there. We'll see it's out. Um, let me just find the date. It is out on November 17th. Uh, so I guess before then or around then, we will we'll be able to get some proper hands on with it and see exactly what's new and what has been fixed. Um, but the, the early signs are that it, it hopefully is making some changes uh, in the right direction. Uh, outside of those kind of big things, there are also just like new puzzles for DMs to drop almost wholesale into campaigns. So there's a whole section on like DM content um, including a load of puzzles. There are like a lot of subclasses, some of which have appeared in other books. Um, so the Artificer from Eberron is making reappearance and they've kind of been tweaked and revamped. Uh, there are a number of... Yeah, I think they were, they were kind of using it as an opportunity to just sort of like um, maybe just fix a little, uh, a few of the little road bumps that they had when they put it out in the book in the first place, I think. Yeah, and there are like a number of subclasses from Una unearthed arcana which is kind of the playtest section of the DD website where they put out they put out some really interesting ideas but they're in kind of in development form so they're a little bit unbalanced or they might just be trying something out but some of those subclasses are now finding their way into this book uh so yeah so that's tasha's cauldron of everything and it's out so, in november one question i have for this is that because obviously the the race traits has been a, a sort of big mm -hmm. um a big sort of talking point, which I've, I've, I'm only sort of tangentially aware of what's in the book because I haven't read it myself. Obviously, me into the preview. Um, but are they are they basically just saying that you can ignore racial traits if you're making a player character, but they still exist in the world for like all of the monsters, all of the NPCs, etc. I don't know the specifics. Uh, mm. it, I believe, from what I know, it's that this book has rules of like, okay, you can ignore them, you can modify them. I don't, I, I don't know if that applies for all monsters and characters. Or just kind of the core classes, um, I, I just simply don't know, so I can't comment either way. One thing that uh, I will mention is that uh, Alex Meehan followed up with Wizards of the Coast to ask whether these rules would be available anywhere else, or whether you would essentially have to buy the book in order to get mm. what arguably should have been in the RPG from the start, um, or shouldn't have been. Uh, and they said they confirmed that they will appear in quote multiple locations outside of Cauldron of Everything. Um, so they've mentioned that they'll appear in like the D&D organized play program, Adventures League. Um, so yeah, so their quote is, it's important to us that these new options for customizing your character's origin be made accessible to as many Dungeons and Dragon fans as possible. So hopefully that means they will essentially be available for free somewhere at some point, because the idea of buying, having to buy a book, no matter how good the rest of the content in the book is, but really, you know, this stuff should be just out there because it's more of a correction mm -hmm. than anything else like um so yeah yeah the, the weird thing to me and I, th I think one of the biggest problems with, with these racial traits is not only does it basically have like a sort of if you are a race then you are inherently this kind of thing but it's also the fact that like all the npcs and monsters that you come up against in that game theoretically have sort of that um hardwired sense of like because they were born this way that means that they act this way like for example you've got orcs which have like a really problematic history just being like racially evil so like to to have an entire race of, of um, creatures be evil by nature is like a really problematic idea yeah and like you said if that's just going to be a thing that they can sort of hand wave into a book then it whilst it's it is a step in the right direction it doesn't feel like enough right now yeah, yeah there's definitely yeah there's a lot of it's 
a very wide ranging and you know multifaceted conversation yeah. like there are i think no one is trying to pretend that there aren't major problems with D um but hopefully like i say hopefully Both there D&D. is yeah <laughs> hopefully there is a sign that that this stuff is at least like now properly going to be looked at and who knows whenever like sixth edition might come out or 5.5 or what you know you would hope that a lot of these changes made in these books will just be rolled into yeah, a new edition and become the default like if, if it if it becomes <clears throat> Um, like it, I guess it's technically fine to have sort of like recommend recommendations for stuff that you would associate with like certain backgrounds, but when it is hardwired into you are this race and that Jake's got some real sneezes <laughs> in the background. Bless you, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, when it's when it's hardwired into into your character when you're creating them, and then they say, but optionally you can do this if you want, then it, it does feel like a bit of a cheap kind of like yeah, in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll yeah. See we, sh- we shall see. Uh, the other thing they announced just quickly is D&D Celebration, which is an event happening next month, uh, which is kind of like a community-focused event where they said they'll be running games from Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. I almost said Ancient Mariner. God. Uh, uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which is the next big campaign book or setting book um, for D&D. Uh, and they'll also, they said there'll be some product announcements and kind of detail there. So hopefully we'll... We'll know a little bit more. Like I say, it's it's a, a a bit early to judge now, and I haven't, I didn't attend the event. Uh, Mian, who unfortunately is not here, um, did so she may be able to speak more specifically to that. Um, but again, we'll we'll see what comes of it. But hopefully, it's at least a a sign that you know something is happening, even if it's not a degree it should be. But we'll find out. Uh, the next news story is there is a new Dinosaur Island game called Dinosaur World. Uh, looks very for those cool. who don't know, yeah. Uh, and it's also kind of funny because Dinosaur Island was essentially Jurassic Park. Yeah, uh, so, so Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact they've just gone full, full on with it. Um, but yeah, Di- Dinosaur Island came out a few years ago now and was like a very kaleidoscopic coloured uh, game about literally making a park full of dinosaurs uh, and trying not to have them eat everyone that was visiting the park um it's a it's a worker placement game at its heart so you you kind of draft dice to get dna or to get funds or whatever it may be and then you spend the combination of those D- dna to create certain dinosaurs and you need to build pens to house them in um and the more dangerous dinosaurs you build, you need to then invest in your security. Otherwise, there is a risk that they can break free and eat some of your visitors, which then affects your popularity and so on. It's, it's, I would hope so, yeah. <laughs> when you think of a Jurassic Park board game, it's it's that. It's a Jurassic mm-hmm. Park management game. Um, I really liked it. Uh, they also did like a two-player spin-off, um, that, which I think was called like Dino Duel or something like that. Um which was, it was fine. It was just like a smaller version of that. And now they're doing Dinosaur World, um, which is kind of billed as a sequel. Um, so it, it sounds like it's along similar lines. You're collecting DNA, you're building dinosaurs, you're building buildings, you're hiring staff. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, I don't think they've they've really dug into exactly what is different. Uh, I believe it's from the same designers again, or at least one of the same designers um but it we'll see what that is uh i think pandasaurus which is the publisher of dinosaur island just 
in their tweet just said soon. <laughs> so whether that's a release or whether that's more information or who knows. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, this this story on Dicebreaker.com, uh, which I should have read to the bottom of and forgot, <laughs> says there'll be a Kickstarter campaign on the September 22nd. Uh, so a release date will presumably follow, but they haven't give a, given an idea. Uh, of no one expects date. you to know what, what's on Dicebreaker.com. It's not that like you have anything to do with it. Well, this was, this was me and while I was off, as I've been trying to catch up. <laughs> Um, moving on to another story that was written while I was away, so I'm probably going to fluff it up. Uh, Fate Condensed is a new version of the Fate RPG. Um, it's, it is as it sounds. It's relatively quick on this. It's a kind of streamlined set of rules for Fate, um, which is, a, I think, a relatively popular RPG system. Yeah. Like, it's not... I don't think it's up there with Powered by the Apocalypse in terms of being widely known, but it's it certainly pops up. Um, across Fate's the one of those like setting agnostic ones, isn't it? So I think people use it for like a, a number of things that don't maybe have uh, a system that supports what they want to play, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I believe Fate is Fate is the one that uses kind of plus and minus die results. I think. Yeah, something like that. Um, but it this is a so it's a sixty page, like it's I believe it's essentially the full game, but they've just condensed it down to sixty pages. Um, it's out in PDF right now for pay what you want, and then it will be coming to a physical edition later in the year. So that's that. Uh, oh, and wow, the the publisher suggested price uh, for the PDF is just three three pounds. So oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah so three quid for go and a, nab it for a relatively mainstream RPG is really good. Yeah, uh, it should go without saying that when people say pay what you want, please support publishers and creators. Yeah. Don't just neck it for free. Um, Moving on to uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, just Yay. a quick one. There is a <laughs> Johnny when you need him. <laughs> uh, so announced last year was a was the first full set for Commander format, which is kind of probably Magic's most popular format. Um, it's it, so Commander is you have a deck of a hundred cards rather than the usual uh, sixty. And you can play, you have one commander who is like a legendary creature or a planeswalker, and you build your deck based on the colors of that card. So if they are red and white, you can have red and white cards or wherever it may be. Um, but it's never kind of had a full set before. They've put out pre-constructed decks for it, and people have obviously played it using various other sets. Um, but Commander Legends will be the first proper set for it, which also means it's getting dedicated boosters uh, for the first time so you'll now be able to kind of draft it properly um, and they, they're putting out kind of official rules for playing draft with commander uh, so you'll be building a 60 card deck um, they're introducing more partner cards uh, partner commanders which allow you to have multiple commanders um, that work together so you can also then have more colors in your deck uh, and that's that's kind of it like it's it's commander they are putting out some more cards in it as well um but alongside that, they are releasing Commander Collection Green, uh, which is the first in like a new series of sets. Again, around Commander, they're really pushing for Commander this year. Uh, and it will feature eight cards, eight reprints of green cards uh, for Commander, uh, which I believe there'll be a foil version that's exclusive to certain retailers. And then there'll be a normal version as well. Um, but like I said, they've said it's the first in a series. So I presume they'll go through the different mana colors and do one for each. But yeah, it's if you play Commander, it's you know yeah, a good way of I'm getting into it. A bit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Commander, Commander is a really great format. Um, if you haven't played Magic, like it's a fun way of getting into it because it's like 
you're kind of you just can kind of pick a if you're playing if you're not playing super competitively you can pick a commander that you think looks cool and then kind of build around them um obviously there's a lot more deck building to be done because there's 100 cards but it's you can play it four players as well which i think is typically how it's played so rather than like one-on-one magic it's kind of built more for big multiplayer matches but you know commander it's a it's a cool format uh the boosters i can't see that they've announced how much they'll cost whether they'll be the same as normal um draft boosters and collector boosters um but hopefully that's the case coming off of double uh double masters which was a recent magic set where the boosters were like 12 quid each um yes uh double masters is worth saying had like it had a selection of rare cards and kind of sought after cards which bumped the price up a bit but 12 pound for a booster it's quite a lot uh, let's move get on. And just remember, when they say the cards are rare, they choose how rare they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the nice thing with Double Masters is that, not to go off on a tangent, is they reprint a lot of the kind of more expensive cards, so it makes them more available. But obviously, they are also controlling how available those cards are. Yeah. Uh, I am no expert in the Magic the Gathering secondary market. Um, but from what I know from speaking to various people who are much more knowledgeable than me, it's, yeah. Double Masters is a great card collection at a very high price, um, which, yeah, tends to be part of the course with Magic. It, it does seem like, like, the more things they do like this, it does seem to just, like, as a new player, why would you choose the physical version over the digital? Like, because it's... They keep introducing artificial scarcity and then there are so many cards that it's difficult to keep up with and then you have to keep track of which ones aren't in circulation anymore. And like all of that is just done for you in Arena. And also it's it's just like an old and clunky game which means you kind of need some computerization to just sort of sort it out for you. So like by saying, hey, here's some of those rare cards that you've been after, you can maybe get them in one of these really expensive booster packs. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it as a very long-term strategy. Yeah, it... the. F- the feeling seems to be that they are very much pushing for Arena, the app version, yeah. to be the thing as well, to compete with the likes of Hearthstone. Or, yeah. um, I would imagine because it's, you know, it's a lot easier for people to, to sink however many pounds it is in, on gems or coins uh, time after time in an app rather than go mm. out to a store, pick up a couple of boosters... I don't know. But yeah, Arena Arena at least has like a good onboarding process. I think what I've seen, they are they put out a new starter set, which is billed as like Magic the Gathering Arena starter set, but it's a physical starter set. Which is a weird thing in itself, but the, the thing seems to be that it the tutorial in the physical pack just points you to the app anyway. So you pick up the physical pack yeah. and it just tells you to go and play Arena. So we're sort of like because when when we were first starting to cover Magic the Gathering here because like we don't like we we make no secret of saying that like on the video team none of us have really ever like been that fully into Magic and I remember Johnny just saying what what's the best way to learn and they were just like just probably just play Arena and it's like well <laughs> yeah. it does just make people want to play Arena more I think <laughs> yeah I mean I I like Magic for what it for what it is I think it's one mm-hmm. of those things where. I don't know. It's if you're into it, you're really into it. It's harder to dip in and out of. Mm. But there, there have definitely been times where I picked up a like a dual decks pack or whatever they're called, um, where they have two pre-constructed decks, and it's like, oh, this is fun to play. But it's like I've never felt that urge of now. I need to buy 
yeah. 50 more boosters. But we are, yeah. It's, it can also just not be for us. Yeah, fine. yeah. <laughs> that's absolutely okay. Uh, the last story on this billing is that there's a new game from the publisher of Race for the Galaxy and Roll for the Galaxy and whatnot. <laughs> that, that whole series of sci-fi games. So Yay. Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, New Frontiers, Jump Drive, I think is the smaller card game spinoff from Race as well. Uh, it's Rio Grande Games who also published Dominion. Uh, and this new game is called Beyond the Sun, uh, which is a very sci-fi name. That sounds like it could be any kind of sci-fi novel, movie, game, you know. It's also very confusing as a title, because what does Beyond the Sun clarify? Because we go around the sun every year. Well, let me tell you, uh, Wills. <laughs> so it is, it's a strategy game, and the premise of it is that the Earth is dying, um, and that oh. humanity, rather than, you know, fix, fix the Earth and, you know, maybe be greener, has decided to just, you know, ditch it and run. Uh, and they are running right? beyond the sun, uh, I thought this was science <laughs> fiction, Matt Jarvis. <laughs> science fact. Um, God. Uh, so I think it's it's not a deeply thematic game. So the oh, really? the kind of premise of it is very, it's very kind of like broad. Like, oh yeah, you're leaving her for some reason. I don't know. Pick up these cards. Uh, so the the gameplay is that on on a central board there is essentially a technology tree. So there are multiple branches of different technologies. Um, which are cards so it's randomized each game uh, and you are aiming to unlock those by uh, like performing actions gaining resources you're also spreading your particular faction between different planets you can build up your kind of military might if you want to but the the core of the game is moving along these technology trees to make your actions more efficient be able to do more get more blah 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 blah, blah. get points uh, it is a so although it's from uh, the publisher of Race of the Galaxy is not related to those games, despite kind of being a similar sci-fi um, theme. It appears to be the first game from Dennis K. Chan, uh, kind of their debut. Um, and it plays, it, so it's 90 to 120 minutes long, so up to a couple of hours, which makes it sound like it's going to be quite hefty. Um, mm. the, the It doesn't look like there's low... I mean, it looks like there's a lot going on in the kind of first gameplay pictures they've shown. But it's not, it, it's that central board of a technology tree, lots of cards, and then kind of individual player boards with tokens. Um, but it's also said to kind of had, have a unique cylindrical economy. Uh, so you choose to either invest in growing your own economy, making more money, or feeding your people so that they can expand to more planets. So it's like, <laughs> it's <Yes>. like, <laughs> would you like capitalism or would you like, you know, socialism would you like to, to feed the people or just yeah squeeze the every last money out of them um it sounds kind of interesting there's not loads to go by at the moment because obviously a lot of these kinds of games it will be in motion on the table you'll kind of work out how it is uh but it seems pretty interesting i don't know there's a lot of sci-fi games out there that are this kind of like heavy strategy you know expand around the stars lead your faction to greatness kind of thing but mm. I don't know. I like the technology tree idea. At least feels I a little like, bit different. Yeah, I do like Tetris and games. Like I'm a big fan of Comet, which is basically a Tetris game. Like I, I, I think it's um, it's one that can be a bit clunky to implement because 
like computer games obviously have always done it a little bit more easily because you can just click <laughs> um but yeah i do i do think they they do make it quite uh interesting in strategy stuff when you actually you kind of build your asymmetry through the game mm. if that makes sense like you're you start off the same but then everyone sort of goes in divergent paths mm. and stuff it's yeah quite cool yeah bringing things full so i think that was the thing that again like tapestry lacked right it's like there was no progression it was like oh you can unlock that you can unlock that but they're not connected in some way it's not you unlock yeah. the wheel then you get chariots it's that was another thing that yeah didn't like connect for me as well because like there were four sort of like tech trees but actually they were just tech lines and everyone mm. was going across them mm-hmm. anyway and it's like by the end of the game most people are pretty far across all of them so no one really felt all that different yeah but yeah all right that is we'll it in terms of news so let's move on to emails <gasps> If you've got an email or a question for the Dicebreaker team, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at join Dicebreaker. Uh, so oh, let us know your Matt, questions. I've, 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 got a, I've got an email here um, from everyone who lives near me who says, Hi, Wheels. We've all decided to be as loud as physically possible whenever you record a podcast. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Love everyone who lives near you. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be answering that one. But let's, <laughs> let's look at some of the uh, some of the fan submissions. It's a very different podcast as we just read out slightly passive aggressive emails but don't answer them. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it though. Why are they beeping their horn? What? <laughs> so I think I, we had a helicopter go over earlier here. So. I heard oh I heard God. somebody's cat also. Yeah, it's probably Holly. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, Toto's also in there. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing that was the the dicebreaker news chopper. Matt. Oh yeah, uh, it's been keeping an eye on board game traffic. <laughs> it's the eye on the sky. I can't think of a pun, so I've just said the normal eye thing. On the island of sky. I... <laughs> uh, the eye on the dicebreaker. Oh. We made it work. We got there, folks. Uh, let's read some emails. Lolies, would you like to read this one from Anthony, please? Hello, Anthony. Anthony asks, how does the Dicebreaker team discover hidden gems? I discovered villagers because of Dicebreaker, one of my faves. I mean, I know that we used to find a lot of games through events. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't really know anymore. <laughs> yeah. So... I don't know, what's your, what's your personal, like, um, like, how have you found the most sort of, like, games you weren't expecting to like that just sort of came out of nowhere like these um i think friends just friends like a lot of a mm. lot of the games yeah that people when people like got the box out i'd be like mm. and then we'd play and i'd be like this is amazing it would be a lot of just <laughs> friends whipping out a game and me just playing it and loving it um so it's it's very much word of mouth as it were i guess <laughs> also I also think, i'm yeah. a lot on um board game instagram and you s- Yes. When you're on there, you just end up seeing like the same game popping up a lot of the time. So you're like, okay, this thing is popular right now. Mm. I do think board games lack that sort of discoverability that video games have because there's so many like digital storefronts and stuff for the video game space that it's like it can be quite easy to find something that you like like based on what you've already played kind of thing. Whereas board games are so you know there's like a, a general sort of you know it's a worker placement game which gives you a vague idea, but there can be such a complete difference between mm-hmm. two. And like you know, the quality and the theme and and everything like that. Um, but we we do get a lot of sort of like we do just sort of scan the new releases that come that like Asmodee are pushing out into the into the UK and stuff like that. And 
all those kind of things. But a lot of the time, yeah, you are you do just kind of have to be a bit lucky, I mm. think. <laughs> but your main, I mean, your main source of information on on hot new board games, of course, should be dicebreaker.com. <laughs> yep, thank you. I didn't need to ride in with the old uh, brand train on that one. It is yeah, so it is worth saying. Like, obviously, we're plugging the website because we are the website, but uh, we do try to to balance like covering the big obvious stuff so a new ticket to ride or a new D thing and also digging out some of the kind of hidden stuff um in terms of that stuff like a lot of it is kickstarter um because mm. that's where a lot of those smaller games pop up and because they are from creators that you've never heard of and i think villagers was a kickstarter game and just popped up mm. one day i was like oh this seems really interesting it's got great art style i think inter but lowly's and wills were right in terms of like events were they are such a huge part of it. So this year has been a particular challenge because board games, it's really hard sometimes if you're not having an expert team of journalists uh, explain how something works in a very well-written article on dicebreaker.com. Um, <laughs> like, Available now. sometimes it's hard to just look at a picture of a game and get a sense of what you're yeah. doing, like Will says, like what you're doing, how it feels. Whereas if you walk past something at a show you will either hear people chatting, like if it's a kind of party game, you might hear them kind of whooping at each other or or you can just kind of look in, peer over, watch a few minutes of a turn and go, oh, I understand like the very basics of what you do in this game. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to do that in a, like a lot of board game trailers tend to be these big flashy mm-hmm. CGI things that capture some atmosphere, but give you no clue about how that mm-hmm. game plays. It's like, okay, I know this has like an, a nice looking set of miniatures, but what do I do for the, you know, past the 30 seconds of looking at it and going, oh, <laughs> like, like look, actually playing the game for two hours, like, what am I doing? So. Like, I can guarantee I would never have played Happy Salmon, one of the best games ever made, without, like, dogged um, recommendations <laughs> from, from these two. Like, it was. <laughs> it was. Um, it's just that presentation of, like, a little fish bag, and I was like, surely this is, like, a kid's game yeah. or something. But then it is that weird thing with a lot of board games where you look at something and you're like, what? And then you play it and you're like, oh, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they chose this theme, but it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I've said this before, but Happy Salmon is the perfect example because I walked past it at Essen and it was a table full yes. of people like shouting at each other and slapping each yeah. other's wrists. Uh, and it was like, what is this? And it kind of mm-hmm. drew me in. And then like obviously Happy Salmon, you watch for 10 seconds and you immediately go, oh, you're matching cards and you do the thing. Sure, that's the game. Yeah. But it's the, again, it's the atmosphere. Like, describing it in words doesn't really work. Yeah. But when you you see it in motion, and again, you know, let's let's plug Dicebreaker because that's why we're here. But that's that's kind of why we exist, is to help with that because that's such a challenge, is understanding how this stuff works. So that's why we play games or why we describe games to give people a sense of like, oh, this is how it works. This is why you should be interested. So... Uh, I think I, w- I would say quickly like um, this this is more RPGs for me than tabletop um, board games and stuff but a lot of the like new stuff that I find in the RPG sort of um, like itch.io and all mm-hmm. the kind of indie spaces um, especially like the ones that I try and push onto the video side as well is is just sort of following designers that I like and then they'll talk about designs that they like like you know if we if you if you really like um, whatever it is, like Lawyer Up by Mike Nade, then go follow Mike Nade and see what he talks about because people make games that they like to play. So if they start talking about things 
that they like mm -hmm. to play, which they haven't made, odds are you might like it as well. So just following designers and, and seeing what they talk about and, you know, just utilizing that sort of social presence they have is also a really good way of just sort of reaching out and like finding things you wouldn't normally be exposed to. For sure. Speaking of hidden gems, quickly, have you had a particular hidden gem from like the last year or so that has really stood out? Uh, <laughs> um, it's a question from one Matt Jarvis. Uh, oh God, you, you put me on the spot. <laughs> well, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think it may have even been a question on a previous podcast, but Shobu I really like as a kind of, I feel like a game that no, like not many people have played. Um, it's just a really neat kind of abstract strategy game in the kind of vein of Hive or chess-like. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's really, really clever. I also think, I don't know if Point Salad is super well known. It is. Um, I was going to say Point Salad, but then I thought, is that not actually quite interesting? Uh, quite I popular, think it is sorry. pretty yeah. popular, yeah. Yeah, Point Salad is definitely one of those games where you look at it and you're like... Yeah, and you and you're like, oh. that's one of the ones that I saw on Instagram for ages and I was like, oh, what? Like, it looks... Mm. looks Oh, I'm trying not to swear. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, we played it and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Mm. Yeah, mm. so good. The crew, I guess, as well, was yeah. like, not all that talked about, but really cool. It did win an award. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, the, no, Matt, I can't think <laughs> of anything. No, I, can't. <laughs> I guess there's a weird line at some point as well, because like, most of the board game industry is hidden gems. Yeah. Like other than the the very big ones that float at the top, like your Catans, yeah. your Ticket to Ride, your Azores, most of it is small stuff. Um, like I think another one is House Flippers, and that was another one where it was like just walking past it at I think that was also Essen, uh, but last year it was like, oh, this is like a load of cards on a table, and then as soon as that sand timer flips, everyone's just dashing around and throwing cards, and mm. it's like, oh right, this is like yeah, House Flippers is really fun. I miss that game. I think we have a copy left in the office. Stay Cool had that kind of same like energy it. that I really liked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Stay Cool. That's a... I think they, they play really well in person because there's a lot of people shouting at each yeah. other and kind of like the energy <laughs> immediately fizzes. Um, whereas like long strategy games are a bit harder to... If you walk past a load of people deep in thought mm. and slowly moving a pawn. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for your question, Anthony. Wheels, would you like to read this one from Oliver? This is along similar lines, actually. I, I would because I can talk passionately about something on this one. Uh, so Oliver Gerlach says, uh, are there any out of print games that you've spent unreasonable levels of time, effort or money trying to track down? Which ones and why? Summoner Wars is one of the best card games in the world. I think they're finally reprinting it now. Mm -hmm. Now that Plaid Hat have um, gone independent again. Because they've bro they've um, they've broken off from Asmodee, haven't they? Yeah, I think uh, it's a new edition, so not just a reprint. It's a whole new yeah. revamp. So that look out for that because the amount of times I've tried to find uh, boxes of Summoner Wars, like there's this one deck that I played on like the tabletop top sim mod that I love so much, and you just can't buy it anywhere anymore. And I was like, ah, <laughs> it's the worst. So like when that new edition comes out, I'm going to be absolutely uh, all over it. But yeah, is there anything you guys have? Uh, I think, like, for me, there's definitely, like, I've got a very small list of stuff that's out of print that, like, I'd like, but I've not spent, like, an unreasonable amount of time or effort or anything. Like, I just, I just hope to find it. I have a look every now and again. I don't think I would spend much more than what I would expect it to cost, like, at RRP. So there's nothing that I'm like, oh, my God, I desperately need this right now and I'll pay it. Although, actually, 
um, Secret Hitler, which wasn't technically out of print, it just wasn't in print in the UK when I got it, um, was only available in the US uh, when I was trying to get it. And my brother lives in the US, and I asked him if he if I got a copy sent him, would he bring it home for Christmas with him? Uh, we are German, so he was like, no. Because uh, he obviously didn't know what the game was about, so he just saw the title and was like, are you, are you joking? Um, so I ended up paying, it was $30 for the game, and I paid another $30 to get it sent over. Oh my gosh. Um, so that's the most I've ever, because I really, really wanted the game, because it is one of my favorite games. But that's probably as crazy as I've ever gotten. <laughs> and, then, and then annoyingly, it was available in the UK from like the following year or something. <laughs> The craziest you've ever gotten in this context. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. That was a good one. I think, like, often it's those Kickstarter games, although there haven't been loads where I've felt like I've missed out. One one game I've always wanted to play that is unbelievably hard to find is Glory to Rome, which is, like, mm. notorious for being out of print and extremely rare. But I believe that I've seen some folks compare it to Fort or Fort to Glory to Rome. Um, and there was also there was a game excitingly about shipping containers, um, not container, a different game uh, called Import Export that I believe also uh, was kind of like a spiritual successor. So it was Glory to Rome's kind of core gameplay, but but shipping containers. Uh, and that's yeah, uh, they were like oh, yeah, the Roman Empire is cool and everything, but how can we really give this a real debonair like? you know james bond atmosphere mm. to it well how many i know shipping containers now wills how many games about the romans can you name i'm willing to bet quite a few how many games about shipping containers can you name well see now you've, you've derived the context from that in a different way matt the reason i can't name any shipping container games is because i don't care about any of them We're, one day we will play container and i will convert you to a shipping container fan <laughs> is that the closed economy ruthless mm-hmm. one? that's one yeah, of those like... yeah that's the kind of game that's just going to give me a stress heart attack. But I'm, I'm yeah, up for it. again, I would say that's like a, a hidden gem in that it looks utterly dull and is incredible. Um, but yeah, Glory to Rome, I've always wanted to play. I know that people make yeah, like print and play copies at home, which I'm not sure of the legality because I don't believe it's available as like a free. I mean, like, or they, they or they've taken they the want mechanics. People to or... buy it, they should make it available somewhere. So. Yeah, but. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the main one. I don't know the game that I've spent the most money on to like acquire a hard to find copy. I've definitely looked at a few games. Oh, like Zia Legends of a Drift System. Um that wasn't it was kind of out of print and I just happened to get lucky with a copy from Thirsty Meeples I think in Oxford um for about 60 quid, which wasn't excessive because I think that's normally what it sells for. Um but I know that that game was hard to find and that is a great game. So, there we go. Uh I will read this one from Lou uh on Twitter. How do you curate your collection and control it when it begins to get too big? I don't. <laughs> it spill everywhere. Like tendrils wrapping itself around my flat. That's about it, really. <laughs> I, my collection's actually pretty small. Um, I think it's because I only buy a game when I know I really, really, really like it. Uh, so, there's, I mean, whilst I like a lot of games... There's not that many. And also, I think part of it is as well, I I do go through that thought process of, am I going to play this a lot? Like, are the people that I've got, like, to hand, aka my housemate, my boyfriend, are they going to be wanting to play this with me more than once? So, um, 
Yeah, my connection's pretty small. I only have like games that I really, really like. I've got a couple of games that I've never played because uh, they were like, they seemed like a good deal at the time and uh, they're still in shrink wrap three years later. Uh, <laughs> but usually I'm very like, I'm very strict on having to have played a game before I buy it usually and needing to be. I, I, I think that happened when I bought Photosynthesis a couple of years ago, like when it first came out and everyone went crazy about it. And again, board game Instagram was like all about photosynthesis because obviously it's a really nice game game to photograph and so at UK Games Expo I bought a copy we played it and I sold it to my friends straight after because I hated it and then I think after that I was like you know I'm not really I'm gonna play before I buy now because as well with like TTS and stuff like that like board game arena there is and also like I've got lots of friends who buy board games all the time and obviously with Dicebreaker and everything there's a like we we have access to games like just being able to play the game and then if i if i'm like i want to own this in my home because i want to play it that much then i'll buy it but yeah yeah that's a pretty good process hmm. i think i've said this before like so uh we have a, a bed that lifts up um i think they're called ottomans but so we when we moved in it was like okay this space will be the board game space this will limit our collection um, and then that quickly fell apart. So we have that's basically full under there. And then on top of the bookshelf, we have uh, 10 games. And then behind the door, we have probably another dozen. And then in the cupboard, we have a crocodile board. Uh, so it's quickly spun out of it's not it's not horrific. We do get rid of games, but it definitely I immediately broke the rule of let's keep everything under the bed because there were a few games where it's just like, well, this is really good. Like Twilight Imperium 4 is on top of the bookshelf. Because it's like, this is really good, but also it's like a quarter of the bed. So yeah. we're not going to fit it anywhere else. Um, but typically, like creating collection, there was a point um, previously where I was playing probably in the in the realm of like 20 to 25 games a month, um, which was a lot and was exhausting and also meant having to do something with those games so that I would give them to charity shops. Um because obviously then it was benefiting others. Um, and with games that I have purchased myself that I like just don't like want to play anymore, like I've moved on or there's like a, a version of the game that I prefer, like I'll offer them to friends first and then like normally it will go to a charity shop. Um, just because I feel like charity shops are like a really good place to find games like that. I feel like anything to get rid of like the 16 copies of Monopoly missing pieces and like six versions of Trivial Pursuit that only have half the cards. Like you often see some real not great games in charity shops. So I'm kind of on like a one person mission to to turn back the tide and get some good <laughs> some good games into charity shops. So I'll try and like spread them across different shops around my local area in the hope that some some day I will see like a a post or a tweet or something where someone's like oh my god you'll never believe what i found that's like the number um, one reason why i go into charity shops is because i always see people on facebook posting about how they got this like amazing game for like two pound fifty and it's like in perfect yeah. condition so i always go into charity shops and i always find just like a battered copy of pictionary or some kind of weird like board game that was based on a show from the 80s or something <laughs> Matt, you just sounded like Michael Caine in the Batman there. He was just like, I hope one day, Master Wayne, I can look across a charity shop and see you buying a mint condition of Twilight Imperial 4th Edition for 20 quid. 
<laughs> I'd like to be specific. I've never, I've never been on the other end of this. So I've never found like an amazing game mm. in a charity shop. Uh, but actually, I will say that a while back, I was speaking to my mum about this, and she didn't remember it. But she, for my birthday when I was, I don't know, twelve, something like that, she found a copy of Rainer Knizia's The Lord of the Rings game in a charity shop. Yes, um, we did that as well. Which which I played a lot. Yeah. I like um, that game. Yeah, uh, it's notable for including Fatty, the Lord of the Rings character that no one oh, remembers. Yes. That's, whenever I introduce that game to anyone, that's my favourite joke, to be like, you can play as all the hobbits that you know and love from the films. Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin, Fatty. Yeah, it's like a, a really strange inclusion. Um, but I like, I like that game. But there was also, like, she doesn't remember buying it or, or giving it to me for my birthday. It was definitely in the boot of her car when I opened it up once. And I remember her just being like, oh, yeah, that's for you because I just stumbled upon it. But she doesn't remember that. So it seems that maybe it just materialised in the boot and nobody knows where this copy came from. It's like that copy but... of uh, Atmosphere that arrived at Mian's <laughs> yeah. door or whatever. Haunted by spirits. <laughs> but yes, uh, you know, support cherry shops, particularly at the moment. Um, and if you're looking to give games away, it's a, not a bad place to give them. Uh, Lolis, would you like to read this one from Kieran, please? Hello, Kieran. Kieran asks, "What's your favorite mechanic in any tabletop RPG?" Um, I know that Wheels loves uh fights. He loves he loves uh. Oh yeah, I love combat. combat. Yeah, any any kind of combat. <laughs> that's me. Yeah. Turn-based combat. That's what RPGs are all about for me. <laughs> I think I've got two for this. So. In a general kind of thing, I like exploding dice, like mm. because it can get so silly that, like, I don't really play any RPG too seriously, as you will know if you've ever watched any video I'm in. So I think the idea of like rolling to do something and then being able to achieve it to like a magnitude of forty times that <laughs> is very funny. It's like trying to pick a lock and just like exploding the bolts out of the door because you managed to, you know, roll four sixes in a row. Something like that. It was it was also it was actually that cyberpunk uh the mm. first playthrough we did where Wills, I think you were jumping from a train or to a train. Yeah, it was a really mundane action, but I was like, I do four somersaults. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because you rolled like three crits in a roll. And it it's that kind of thing of like, oh okay, like this just gives it that it's it's exciting, right? It's like, oh I rolled yeah. one. I rolled another. It's a bit more exciting than like, oh, I, I rolled a crit 20, great. But if you can then roll another and another and it just goes so beyond the expected. Mm. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. I also, I've sung the praises of Trail of Cthulhu before, but I really like the mechanic in there where you just know stuff. Like you yeah. don't, going the other way, you don't roll. You just know. So if you... That's Gumshoe, right? Uh, yeah, Gumshoe system. Yeah. yeah. So if you if you have points in antiquity, you can look at a vase and just know that it is a particular type of vase because, yeah. of course, you know antiquity. Whereas you can then spend points to get extra detail. So it's almost like you're spending time in a way or focus mm. to pick out extra details or like to go up to something and examine it in more detail. But I really like in a detective game the idea that you're not rolling to recall your own knowledge. Because it always felt a bit silly in, in things like Call of Cthulhu, which Trail of Cthulhu is based on, where you could have knowledge in something, but if you rolled like a zero, you would suddenly not be able to know your own 
knowledge. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm an expert in this, but for some reason, I can't recall any of the knowledge I have, despite being an expert. <laughs> so, yes. There you go. Yeah, I think Gumshoe was like, I remember reading about it, and the, the person who wrote it was literally just like, I was trying to make a detective story in an RPG, and it just didn't make any sense. So I just had to write a new RPG so it made sense. <laughs> Uh, I think my favourite, actually, to be honest, like it might just be because I've recently read it, so it's on, it's fresh in my mind. Um, but I've been reading the Alien uh, RPG rulebook, and the way they do stress is actually really cool. I don't know if you've read about it, but basically, you have um, whenever you do anything, you have a pool of d6s. So, like, say you wanna, um, I don't know, say you wanna like convince someone of doing something. You have like your base stat and then your skill. So you've got empathy, which is like anything you do with like people. So say you've got four in that. And then you've got um, like a two in like manipulation or something. So you add that on top. So you've got 66s. But as you go through the game and like bad things happen, your character gets more stressed. Just like in Blades in the Dark, you're going to add to a like a stress uh, counter. But instead of just being like, once you reach this threshold, you have reached too much stress, which is a little bit abstract. And it's a bit like, you know, like you don't, it's not, it's never like a sort of straw that breaks the camel's back with stress. It's always just like, it mounts and mounts and you feel it that whole way and then it just like you snap so like the way that they do it is whenever you add stress you also add that to every roll you do so you've got your six dice that you had at the start but because i'm four stressed i add four different colored d6s to my pool which means that technically i'm more effective because when you're stressed like your fight or flight activates and you become more efficient like you become more hyper aware you're more like your adrenaline's pumping, so you're more athletic and all that kind of stuff. But if you ever roll a one on any of your stress dice, you go into panic. Mm. So it's like, so you're always teetering on the edge of something really bad happening because, like, you're stressed, and that's how stress works. Like, it's it's a really good, um, it's a really good, like, mechanical way of communicating a really human experience, which I really love. Mm. Um, and just an, another little shout out to one little bit I read as well. Um, whenever you want to kill like a human in the game who's defenseless you have to fail an empathy role because like it's a big deal um so like if you ever like like say you've you know you've you've shot someone in the in the leg and they can't fight back anymore if you want to finish them off you have to not be empathetic enough you have to deal with the fact that you're killing another human being i really like mechanics that force you to actually play like a mm -hmm. real human rather than just being like i am a block of stats who is walking around the world um but regardless of whether you fail or succeed the role, you always take stress because you had to sit there and say, do I want to kill another human? Which is obviously a really stressful thing to live through. So yeah, it's really cool. I've been enjoying reading that role, but it's a bit dense because it's very like, here's a big RPG about a system and a series of films that have been going since the 80s. So it's like, it's a bit chunky, but some of the, yeah, some of the mechanics are in there are really cool. I can see why, why it was up for that any. I think when you were saying about like um, RPGs that make you play like a human, um, kind of made me think mm. of um, obviously like I don't have as, as much RPG experience as you guys, but like when you when we played um, Zhangxia uh, recently, I really enjoyed that, and yes. I, I I talked about it on a previous podcast. But the the language thing was something that I really enjoyed mm. a lot because it's not something that really comes up a lot like um like in D D, if you speak giant you speak giant and that's it like you're probably fluent in it because there's nothing to say you aren't um and i really enjoyed that in jangsha where um language barrier was a thing um because obviously you are playing um different generations of of a, of a uh, chinese immigrant family in america 
um and so like different generations will have different grasps of um the languages of, of um that they spoke and like for for me again I, I brought this up on a previous podcast but for me like somebody who didn't start speaking english until i was 10 um you know like for me someone who moved to ireland and had like was had been speaking german for 10 years before that and like language was has always been a big part of my like life in that terms like even now years later like my german's gotten worse you know like language is like such an interesting thing for me and the fact that they like um that they dealt with that was really interesting to me from that perspective and i really enjoyed that and that's been one of my favorite mm. experiences um playing an rpg because of that yeah I think. yeah i think that's that's a really good argument for like you need more diverse people making games because then you get those experiences that you don't just experience if every single game is made by a straight white mm-hmm. man like it's it's you you need to have that breadth of experience for for people to actually understand how these things work so it's like like sure yeah you play D and everyone's got like four languages just like listed off that never come up and it's like that's not interesting mm-hmm. at all whereas someone who's actually dealt with that like you said like moving to another country and having to learn that language to to like become part of that culture is, is a really like personal experience oh sorry i need to answer the door very quickly okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah Jiangxi's it's really cool, cool. i really, I really it. liked it a lot i was first thinking about the dice but i was like oh, i don't know how that really like dealt with the story if it did at all and then i was thinking about the language thing and i thought that was actually especially when you were mm. talking about like real human experiences i was like that is a real human experience <laughs> <laughs> but it is that thing though isn't it like you play like when you're playing D D, you're always just thinking like oh this isn't what my character would do but like i've got a really good role in this so i'm just gonna do that and it's like well you know <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not very fun yeah. is it <laughs> all right uh let's squeeze in one last question uh lowly she read that one so wills could you read this one from adrian please yes adrian's as lona says is there a board or tabletop game out there that has lore you find fascinating that has rules you can't get on board with, or vice versa. Matt, you've been uh, you've been taking the last. Oh, you don't look too, uh, don't I was... look too happy about being jumped up. Well, oh, I knew this was you've coming been, been uh, because obviously I picked the questions. Um, but I was I was genuinely quite struggling because I think, particularly with law or rules that are good, but or rules sorry rules that I can't get on board with, but law that is good. Often I find that, like, if the rules are good enough, it can kind of pull me through with a lot of tabletop games. Obviously, RPGs can be different. Um, but, for instance, there are quite a few kind of just blandly fantasy games where it's like, oh, these are like these are fun to play. Like, I'm, I would say that Gloomhaven has an interesting world, but it is also very much mired in that, like, fantasy... Like there's there's nothing surprising in the fantasy of Gloomhaven, right? Mm. Like it, it does a really good job of capturing some of that, you know, particularly when you're doing those events, um, like in between missions or when you're dungeon crawling. Like it, it has an interesting world, but I would never be interested enough to read a Gloomhaven novel because I think mm. it would just feel and it, it's similar with magic. There's magic novels that come out and I've read kind of extracts of them just out of like curiosity but never been really kind of taken with it. And even, I think even D&D, like to some degree, like I love, I love Baldur's Gate, 
as like a video game series but i don't think it's like I, i've never been fussed about reading D novels or black library novels for warhammer i f- i found that often like a lot of them just feel a bit like eh like in some ways i'd rather see a more interesting like these these work fine as games because there it's the gameplay that's pulling me in but the world alone is not enough i think uh so yeah that's a bit of a like iffy answer that doesn't quite answer the question but i think it's just that thing of like a lot of the games I enjoy are kind of the the marriage of both theme and narrative rather than one or the other because I think if one is severely lacking I'll just play something else that has a better balance because it's very very rare that like something has a strong enough theme to make bad rules worth it yeah I I do although you say that like I kind of have the opposite thing with Warhammer mainly the fantasy because obviously I've like I've had a lot of um, a lot of reason to delve into the fantasy, but I do now have quite like a, I am quite fond of the characters in there and all that kind of stuff. And like I don't think I'd ever play Warhammer Fantasy Tabletop. Hmm. Like, I know they're bringing back the old rule set, but I don't think I'd play it because it's really clunky and like everything's like just very old and they're sort of patching it up. We'll see how it looks in the new edition that they pull out, but um, I do love that world. But I just like the rules are so uninteresting to me because I, I think it's such a kind of like with magic it was like it was one of the first tabletop miniatures games and now it feels like we have progressed past the need for Warhammer games like the 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 bog standard ones for me um so yeah i think i'd, I'd come at that from a different angle mm. but but like you said like most of the time i play some games with really good rules but yeah just the world doesn't interest me in the slightest i think because so many do just have that vanilla rpg kind of like goblins and ghouls and swords and shields kind of vibe to them i suppose i'll I'll add the caveat that when i was a kid collecting warhammer i never really played warhammer by the rules i just flicked Mm. through like the rule books or the source books for each faction so i suppose in some ways maybe i'm maybe i'm with you on warhammer because maybe like the nostalgia of like oh yeah warhammer like it's fun to to do like to have a load of miniatures on a table and it's like that is fun but also i never really played by the proper rules like it was more the idea of the rules and the idea yeah. of like I've got this big army of like skeletons or whatever it was um, was yeah, more interesting was, than it, actual Warhammer. It was the fantasy they sold you on, I think. Yeah. Whereas like, and they still do. Like that's why I often find myself painting Warhammer more than I do playing. Yeah. Like it's like I, I love the miniatures. Like they're they they're beautiful. Like genuinely, like I know they're very chunky and they're very like oh big scary demons, but they're they're so well crafted. Like they've been making miniatures for such a long time now, Games Workshop, that they are really good at it. Yeah. And say what you want about how expensive they are, um, but they are like just genuinely beautiful models, and I love painting yeah, them. For so sure. like it's it is that thing of like I do care about the world, but I don't think I'll probably play it all that often just because the rules are just a bit old and old and decrepit. Yeah, Lowly, has anything come to mind? You've had all this time to think. <laughs> I know, I've been thinking a lot. Um, I think like my first thought was, and this is kind of going back to RPGs. Um, Whilst I really enjoyed our playthrough of Lasers and Feelings, um, and I obviously I love space and all that, I do find like that the system for me is a bit binary, like with the fact that it's like everything's split into lasers and feelings. It's like to me that doesn't really appeal that much. Like I I know I don't think some people like think that I don't know, with with like D D for example, there's too much going on, but I think that's like a bit more representative than just like two kind of things that you are dividing everything into um so yeah whilst i kind of enjoy like the setting and i again i really enjoyed like our playthrough of it i just like 
I even like used to listen to a podcast who who did like a season where they played Lasers and Feelings and I wasn't really into it then either. I don't know, it's just it's too like I don't like splitting things just two ways. I think it's it doesn't really work for me. But yeah, mm -hmm. that's the one that came to my head. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's it's one page, yeah. isn't it? So it's always gonna be like, yeah. But what if they added Carly Ray Jepsen? <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> is it emotion? Is it emotions and swords in the Color Age Jefferson RPG that replace yeah, lasers and feelings? Because it's based on we've played it, and yeah, yeah I yeah, don't think so. Uh, all right, I think that is just about all we've got time for this week. But before we leave you, let's look ahead to what's coming up on YouTube.com forward slash Dicebreaker video team collectively. <laughs> what can we expect? Um, I, okay, if you've just finish this podcast then and you've watched it on the day that it's come out then you might have missed yesterday pardon me we did a live play of the Resd rpg with nate crowley uh and grant Howe as well which you may remember uh the the troublesome pair from our uh playthrough of reverse beastmaster the last game that they played uh that they made sorry together um which is one of the first videos that Lodi's that did was my us, first which, uh, ever set... rpg on the team yeah that that set the tone i think <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot um Coming up after that, we've got the uh, the conclusion of this um, season of Dungeon Breaker as we um, as we look forward to, to trying out a new game after oh that. Oh my god! Uh, the season finale this time. Oh boy! Yeah, there's a lot that happens. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that happens. And then on Sunday, um, Johnny has been delving into the digital tabletop world of Roll Twenty to give you some uh, some sort of introductions to that. But do you want to take next week? Have you got the schedule up? Yeah, already? I just got it up there. Next week, we uh, Blades in the Dark Part 3 concludes uh, on the Wednesday. Mm -hmm. um, so that'll be the last episode of, of Pilfers and Friends. Uh, I know he'll, he'll be, he'll be <laughs> greatly missed. Um, we'll be painting. We'll do, be doing a painting stream on Thursday podcast. And then, I mean, we'll update you what's to come after that on next <laughs> week's podcast. Mm -hmm. And over on the website, which is dicebreaker.com, uh, as I say, Alex Mean has written up a little preview of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, if you're interested in some of the changes that's bringing. Um, we have a list of the best dexterity games up, which of course Crokinole is on there, um, <laughs> because it's it's not just the best dexterity game, but probably the best game ever made. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and we next week we have a feature coming up that is looking at the return of Dark Tower, or Return to Dark Tower as it's actually called, uh, the reboot of the 80s kind of adventure game that had a big electronic tower in the middle of the table. Um, so Dan Jolin has chatted with a few of the folks behind that. Um, and we have various other things coming up. Obviously your daily dose of news from around the world of tabletop, and much much more. Uh, so it's as always, it will be a week to look forward to on Dicebreaker. Um, if you're interested, our summer range of merchandise is now out, uh, which you can find at dicebreaker.myshopify.com. Um, we will we'll have more to announce about what our plans are for PAX Online and EGX Digital, which are coming up next month, um, September 12th to the 20th, very soon. Uh, we've given some teasers here and there, but we will be appearing across both shows uh, with some very exciting and wildly chaotic things, um, and also just some some really interesting bits that I'm I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But until then, uh, this has been the Dicebreaker Podcast. We will be back next Friday with the next episode. Thank you for joining me, Alex Lolis. Thank you for having me. 
It's been a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Hold for applause. It's that enthusiasm and sincerity. And like we, <laughs> that we all love. Uh, thanks for being here, Wheels. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been a, a fantastic time as always, Mr. Matthew Jarvis. Okay, now you're over seven. <laughs> uh, uh, I have been Matt Jarvis. Uh, and thank you all for listening. And until we meet again, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Bye.